All right, let's pray real quick before we go to the Word of God. Father, thank you so much for this time together, this uh, good fellowship and worship that we've had in the midst of your saints. And now, Lord, as we go to your Word, your holy, precious, exalted Word, your inspired Word, your perfect Word, uh, as we open it up, Lord, and begin to read from it and proclaim it, we ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts and minds that comprehend and understand what the Spirit is about to say to us, your church. Now, Lord, we ask that you would rebuke that devourer for our sake, that he would not be able to hinder the proclamation of this word, nor the hearing and receiving of it, but that it would be planted in the good soil of people's hearts where it will return a harvest of righteousness for your namesake and the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, as we do your kingdom business here today, I pray that your kingdom would be advanced and the kingdom of your enemy would suffer great losses today. I pray that bondages would be broken, people would be set free, that people would experience a new level of freedom in you and a new level of just experiencing your presence in their lives in a a deep and fresh new way. And that whatever demonic entanglements that have been upon any person in here, that those would be broken and forever dispatched today. And for these things, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, we're finishing up today uh, the series that we began a few uh, weeks ago called The Invisible Battle. And we've been talking about the war in the heavenlies and uh, the, the, the spiritual battle that happens in the unseen realm. So we'll be looking at that again today and uh, our, last, uh, our last teaching on this. We'll be turning, if you will, to our master text in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We'll go ahead and read that master text and then I'll jump into this. So as soon as you find that, stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's word. Mark 16, verses 15 through 18. Am I feeding back a little bit? Am I, is my volume okay? Yeah, you might want to bring, bring me back just a little bit. Okay, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all... This is Jesus speaking, of course. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news or the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick and people will get well. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will. Praise the Lord. Well, if there's one soundbite statement that I want you to get out of this series, uh, it's this right here. Take a look at the screen. This is our key concept number one this morning. You and I are to continue the work that Jesus began. Did you know that? You and I are to continue the work that Jesus began. Well, what does that look like? Well, clearly, according to our master text in Mark 16 that we just read, It includes casting out demons, healing the sick, and also making disciples. Amen? Now, again, why all this emphasis on demons? 
that we've been talking about these last several weeks. I mean, isn't that, isn't the concept of demons just for third world nations that uh, practice voodoo? <laughs> well, on that note, recently I learned of a priest up in Indianapolis who does exorcisms, which is just a fancy word for casting out demons. And that priest said that since COVID, the number of requests for exorcisms has tripled since COVID. I, I don't know what to quite make of that. Why since COVID? That that's been, I've got a lot of different uh, theories on that, but I won't share them now. But the reason I wanted to bring that up to you is because people right here in Indiana are recognizing the presence and the influence of demons. So this hits us where we live, ladies and gentlemen. So we need to be actively pursuing learning about these things, not only so that we can be freed from bondage ourselves, but also be bondage breakers for other people. Would you agree with that? And in this way, too, we help to fulfill the Great Commission. See, as I said, I think a week or two ago, when we read the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, we like to stop at making disciples. We don't like to talk about the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick and the speaking in the tongues and all that. We don't like to mention those things for whatever reason. We, in our sophistication, are uncomfortable with those topics. But when you limit the Great Commission to just making disciples, you're, you're only covering about 25% of the Great Commission, okay? This morning then, we're gonna be continuing talking about different kinds of demonic spirits mentioned in the Bible. Now, by the way, there's other spirits that I've heard talked about. Like, for example, I've heard uh, people talk about the spirit of poverty. Well, that's not actually listed in the Bible, but do I believe that there's a demonic spirit that can keep people locked in cycles of poverty? Yes, I do. Um, people also have mentioned the Jezebel spirit. And again, that's not a spirit that's mentioned in the Bible. But do I believe that there was a, a spirit or spirits that inspired the woman Jezebel to do all that she did? Yes, I do. Uh, but there's just not a spirit by that name, or at least not mentioned in the Bible. So I'm restricting this list or have been restricting this list to ones that we clearly see in the Bible that are mentioned in the Bible. So that's what I'm restricting my list to. So I'm going to give you another couple of ones this morning, uh, uh, several others actually. So in um, these several scripture passages that you see, see listed on the screen there, we see that there's other types of uh, physical infirmities that are because of spirits, because of demonic spirits. So it mentions a muteness, blindness, deafness, and seizures, convulsions, and epilepsy. And all of these scripture references, by the way, refer to these disorders as spirits, at least in these cases. Now, in addition to these, the ones that you see listed on the screen, I can almost assure you that there's a number of mental and emotional disorders, such as schizophrenia, and chronic anxiety and depression that also are demonic in nature, at least some of the time. Now, I think that there can be, you know, other uh, biochemical things that can attribute to that too, but at least some of the time, maybe much of the time, some of these mental and emotional disorders can have a demonic nature to them. 
So I'm not going to go into in detail all those different ones, but I want to focus for a little while on the spirit of infirmity that the Bible talks about, which is actually related to the previous ones that we just looked at. So you find that spirit of infirmity mentioned in Luke 13, 11, where it says, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. There it is. 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. And you know the rest of that story, I think most of you, where Jesus uh, said, Woman, this day you are made free of your infirmity. And he healed her. And she was able to straighten up and give praise to God that very moment. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I want to make the notation here that while there can be many organic and natural causes of disease, equally true is that all forms of infirmity can also be satanic in nature. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. So let me first define that word infirmity. It simply means a physical or mental weakness. A physical or mental weakness. And here's a couple of examples. In, uh, in Job 2.7, it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Who struck Job with painful boils? Satan, Satan did. God didn't do that to him. Satan did. Satan did. And then likewise, I want to follow up with the good news in Acts 10.38. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Praise God. Jesus was on a mission to overturn all the works of the devil. I like to say it this way. Jesus went around terrorizing the devil and undoing all of his evil works. So again, while there can be many organic and natural causes of disease, we have to also understand that equally true is that many causes of sickness and disease and dysfunction can also be satanic in nature. So I want to give you right now three channels or openings of affliction by that spirit of infirmity. And the first one I'm going to deal with this morning is abuse of the physical body. And of course, under that umbrella are things like poor hygiene, gluttony, poor eating habits, and other destructive habits such as smoking, abusing drugs, alcohol, etc. Now, let me elaborate on that point for a moment, if I may. If you don't seek to take care of your physical body, but rather abuse your body through your lifestyle choices. Well, I don't think that that's necessarily an open door to the demonic on the level of like being involved in the occult or something. However, having said that, um, I do believe it gives the enemy an opportunity that he may not have otherwise had, if that makes sense. See, you want to shut all the doors that you possibly can. Amen. In Ephesians 5.29, it says, For no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Praise God. Um, you see, anytime we violate a biblical principle, folks, we're giving a potential open door to the enemy. So if you take good care of your physical body and make healthy lifestyle choices, well, and you have some sort of physical infirmity anyway, 
Well, that may be a hellish attack on your body. Now, listen, I'm going to qualify that. If you're sucking down a liter of Mountain Dew every day, and now you're having chronic headaches, or you have a, a rum and Coke for dinner every evening, and now you've got some liver damage or an ulcer, well, don't blame Satan, okay? I'm all for removing whatever is causing your ailments. I'm going to say that again. I'm all for removing whatever's causing your ailments. Sometimes we just have to observe some wisdom, amen? But if you've done all you know to do and you're still struggling, that might be a spirit of infirmity. All right, so the second channel of affliction by the spirit of infirmity is unforgiveness and bitterness. So I want to read to you part of Matthew 18, verses 32 through 36. This is Jesus speaking, and I'm catching his parable kind of on the tail end. When I do this reading, it's the parable of the unmerciful servant, and, and you know the context of that, right? The, the, the servant owes the monarch, the king, a, a sum that he cannot pay back, and the king forgives him, but then the servant goes out, and he finds a fellow servant that owes him a small amount of money, takes him by the throat, says, pay me what you owe me, and then has him thrown in debtor's prison, and the other servants go back to the, the king and report what was done. The king brings him back in, okay? And so that's where we pick it up. Verse 32. Then his Lord called him in and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant, even as I had mercy on you? His Lord was angry and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay back all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if you don't uh, each forgive your brother from your hearts for his misdeeds. Now I said last week that there's been some de debate as to what that really means. If, it's, if it means that God will revoke our salvation if we don't forgive someone or if it's something else. Well, folks, I believe that the forgiveness of God extends to everything short of rejecting him up until the grave. I think that's the only thing that cannot be forgiven, which is that you could see that as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which that's a, a sin that cannot be forgiven. You reject the voice of the Holy Spirit all your life until you pass from this life. So I believe that, that God's grace extends even to our unforgiveness. So what's this talking about? Um, his Lord was angry and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay back all that was due to, to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you. Tor the tormentors, according to some sources, and I would agree with this, are demonic forces. When you don't forgive, you open yourself up to demonic invasion into your life to wreak havoc in your life. I love what Corey Ten Boom said about this. She said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover the prisoner was you. I love that. You know, something happened to me recently that really blindsided me. I was having a terrible problem forgiving someone. And I'm usually the kind of person that works through those types of things fairly well. But in this case... 
it really kind of blindsided me and, and hurt me so deeply that I was really having trouble forgiving this person. So I actually reached out to a couple of you and asked you to pray for me to help me through this process. And the thing that really helped me is realizing what a prisoner I am, not only to the enemy, but also to the other person that I haven't forgiven. You see, people who won't forgive, um, I should say it this way, when, when we don't forgive someone, those people who we're not forgiving occupy far too much of our thoughts than they deserve. When we release them, however, we release ourselves. And we shut the door to the enemy. Amen? The third one I'm going to give you this morning, the third and, and final one of, in terms of the channels of affliction by the spirit of infirmity is fear, dread, and worry. Now, there's many scripture references I could give you for this one. Matthew chapter 6 comes to mind. That's not the one that I'm going to highlight for you on the screen, but Matthew 6 is a, is a good one. Um, fear, dread, and worry. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry on its own, right? Jesus said to turn all your, all your cares and worries over to him and don't worry about, you know, your monetary things. But the one I'm going to give you this morning that really speaks very clearly to the demonic being unleashed on a person's life because of the open door that fear, dread, and worry can bring into your life is this scripture right here, Job 3.25. You've heard me talk about it before. I'm going to state it for you again. And this is what Job said after all that calamity had come upon him. He said, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Now, if you've read the book of Job, you probably know that Job was so much in fear regarding his children that he would get up every day and make sacrifices for his children because he feared that, well, maybe they're not living right. Maybe they've been doing things that are not pleasing to God. So he got up every single day and made sacrifices for them. I mean, he was kind of in bondage to fear regarding his children. So fear, dread, and worry could have possibly opened the door to these very things that he was fearing coming upon him. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. So what's the antidote to this, by the way? Well, if you read Psalm 91, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a few excerpts out of it, I want to give you the antidote to that tendency toward fear, dread, and worry dominating your thoughts and your life all the time. By the way, and that's no way to live. And God doesn't want you to live that way. Fear, the Bible says, brings torment. Fear brings torment. God does not want you to live that way. He wants you to live in peace and confidence that he's got your back. So in Psalm 91, it says, he who dwells, and this is the qualifier, verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, or some versions say the secret place. I like that a little better, I think. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 3 says, surely he will deliver you. 
When we live this way, when we live in such a way as that we're dwelling constantly in the secret place of the Most High, then surely He will deliver you. If you're saying out of your mouth, Lord, you are my refuge, you're my fortress, my God in whom I trust, rather than regurgitating all this fear and dread and worry all the time, which is the default position that most people live in, and the Bible tells us that you can tell what's in a, in a person's heart by what comes out of their mouths. Okay? When they're just regurgitating all this fear and worry and dread all the time, that's what's in their hearts. And guess what? They're in torment. But when we live this way, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 3, surely he will deliver you. Deliver you from what? All the calamities that it lists in that chapter. Verse 5 says, you will not fear. When you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you begin to gain confidence in God's intentions toward you. And that sets your mind at ease and you will not fear. So those are the three open doors to the enemy that we'll talk about this morning. We've covered many prior to this teaching. But those, and, and actually we'll review some of those as the teaching progresses here. But um, those are three open doors I want you to, to be aware of. But I want to also bring something else to your attention that sometimes, since we're talking about the spirit of infirmity this morning, there's sometimes spiritual roots of some of these physical ailments that we sometimes experience. As a matter of fact, I want to introduce you to Dr. Henry Wright's work. He's with Jesus now, but he wrote a book called Exposing the Spiritual Roots of Disease. And that's something you might want to look into. He's actually written several other books that are a bit more specific. That's kind of the, the broader um, overview of the spiritual roots of disease, but he's actually written several other books that kind of hone in on specific diseases. So he's got one on the spiritual roots of autoimmune disease. He's got another one on the spiritual roots of high blood pressure and, and cardiovascular disease and what have you. So if that's something that uh, you, you think you may have a spiritual, and probably with a lot of the ailments that we uh, encounter, and like I said, I want to qualify. Sometimes there's very natural and biochemical reasons why people get sick, but sometimes they're spiritual. So in that case, well, in fact, before I make that next point, let me just point out on the right side here, there's also conferences that are being done, um, I think, at least two or three different times a year. Right, Donna? Oh, every month. Oh, every month. Uh, so just look up the Be in Health conferences and you can go to one of these locations, and I think it's like several days long, right? There's a whole week worth of just biblical training on exposing the spiritual roots of disease. So um, that may be something some of you may want to look into, especially if, you know, you fasted and you prayed and you've repented and, and you've confessed and you've been prayed for, but still no results. Well, maybe there's a spiritual root that needs to be identified and addressed. So let's go back for a moment and review some of the other ways that demons get access to us. And these are ones that we've done in the previous teachings in this series, so I'm not going to go into any great detail on any one of these, but I want you to, your memory to be refreshed on some of these. So let's look at some of these demonic open doors. Now, before I get to my list, I, I want to just preface this by saying uh, that in 1982... There was a movie that came out called Poltergeist. And it was about spirits that terrorized a family 
in their home. Well, I was 16 at the time. Do the math and you know how old I am. I was 16 at the time when that movie came out. And and yes, I did watch it with my dad. I don't recommend that movie. Um, But one thing that did stand out to me in that movie is how the spirits got access to this family. And it was through their TV. Now, I think that's symbolic because most of what Hollywood is pumping out these days is indeed demonically inspired. And folks, you're fellowshipping with demons when you watch that kind of stuff. So please be very selective about what you watch. I'm telling you, honestly, there's, there's just a couple of, couple of things that I'm able to watch on any regular basis. I mean, Andy Griffith is one of them. And I, I told Donna, I said the other day, I said, I wish there was more to watch than Andy Griffith and, you know, with a, a show or two. Other, and that's, that's about it. And uh, so I do watch uh, some YouTube stuff, some good preaching on YouTube, and that's, that's about it. But I want you to be aware that what you put in your mind affects your thoughts. As a matter of fact, be very selective, please, about the music that you listen to and the movies that you watch. Because Proverbs 4.23 in the New Living Translation says that above all else, guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. What you put in your heart determines how your life is going to go. See, because why is that? Because what you put into your eye gate and your ear gate gets into your heart and affects how you think and how you think is going to determine the direction of your life. So your life will go in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. I want to point something out very clearly to you right now. You are where you are right now in your life largely because of the thoughts that have dominated your life. Because they're like the that and your words, the Bible tells us. Look, read James chapter 3. Your thoughts and your words will direct the course of your life like the rudder on a ship. So it's so important what you allow in the eye gate and the ear gate because that's going to affect your thoughts and that's going to direct the course of your life. Okay? So let's look at the other things in in this list. Uh, We also open demonic doors through sexual encounters. We talked about soul ties. Uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, we talked about sexual soul ties and how we open the door to the demonic through sexual union because the two become one flesh, the Bible says. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, hey, look, don't just be sleeping with anybody because through that sexual union, the two become one flesh. And there's these sexual soul ties that can happen that can really affect your future relationships. Okay, that, I'm not going to go into all these again in detail because we covered these already. But uh, unforgiveness, we talked about that one. Keeping forbidden occultic objects in your home or your, your office or your car. Get rid of those. They definitely open the door to the demonic. And then obviously, this is an obvious one here, uh, participating in occultic practices like mediums, seances, witchcraft, Satanism, etc. And then new age. And I also put in that same category, yoga. Now, I don't know, I, I realize that not a lot of people know this, but yoga has its roots in Eastern mysticism. So some of the postures and what have you, and some of the things that, that 
they encourage in yoga that yoga is a pagan practice. Now, a lot, not a lot of people know that in this culture now because we've kind of accepted it as just, you know, a form of stretching and exercise. But folks, you can stretch and do exercises without doing the om, you know, kind of, you know, Eastern mysticism stuff. Don't, please don't participate in that sort of thing. Okay. Here we go. Uh, hallucinogenic drugs, which open up the mind to, again, demonic invasion. Uh, jealousy. We talked about that one last week. Rage. Uh, resulting in violence and murder, etc., and ancestral access. So what some people have called generational uh, entanglements or curses. Okay, so these are all ways the demonic has access. But I'm going to talk to you this morning about breaking that agreement with hell. Now, how do we do that? How do we break that agreement with hell? Well, first of all, repent. That's the first thing. If you've seen any of those things that I just listed in your life, repent. So how do you do that? Well, of course, you ask forgiveness, you renounce the disobedience, and then you turn around. See, that's what repentance is. It's not just being sorry for something that you did, but you literally turn around and go the other direction. Well, on that note, I, I'm... I'm quoting, um, or I listed Acts 3.19 up there, so let me just quote that for you. It says, repent then and turn to God. The times of refreshing may come. I'm sorry, I misquoted that. Let me reinsert what I skipped. Um, that your sins may be wiped out, it says. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, repentance leads to times of refreshing. Did you know that? Praise God. Here's the other concept that I want to share with you, uh, binding and breaking the agreement with hell. And this is a, my scripture reference for this is Matthew 18, 18. Jesus is speaking here and he says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, by the way, um, Jesus also said this to Peter right before he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. But this was a statement that wasn't just to Peter, because in Matthew 18 that I'm quoting from right here, that wasn't a statement to Peter. That was a statement to all of his disciples. Okay, so this, this applies to us too. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So how does this apply then? Well... Slam the door shut on the satanic powers in your life that the sins that you may have committed that may have opened the doors to those demonic powers um, may have opened up to you. And just as a suggestion as to what to say, I think that verbal renunciation and verbal binding and breaking is important. The, the verbal part, I think, I believe is very important. So just as a way to kind of give you a template of something you might say is that I bind and break the power of the spirit of infirmity in my life in Jesus' name. See, you always deal with any spirit that you recognize in your life through the authority that Jesus has delegated to you and with the name of Jesus. Okay, that's how you do it. And when you really understand your authority that Jesus has given to you, and you have faith in that process, then when you utter those words, they have power. Amen. 
But I want to tell you something, when you don't have faith, and you're just kind of doing it by rote, hoping that this works, it doesn't really have the effect versus you really understanding your authority and having faith in the process that, that you have the power. You, you, listen, it's not just the super Christians that have the power over the, over the demonic. Jesus said, I give you power over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you, Luke 10, 19. This is for all of us. You all have the authority to deal and confront the demonic successfully, successfully. Okay, so that's how you do it, binding and breaking. I think that's a very important part of the process right there. Now, I also want to begin coming down home stretch here by talking again about the importance of prayer and fasting, which we've talked about a lot, but we haven't really talked about it specific to breaking demonic domination in our lives or the lives of other people. So our second key concept for this morning is this, that prayer and fasting wins the battle in the spiritual realm and sometimes stops attacks before they even begin. So this is proactive. This is, this is preventive in some cases. Proactive. Look at the screen. I want to show you this picture right here. What you're looking at is a picture of the king's castle or the so-called prayer fortress in El Salvador. Now, it was built as a place of spiritual training, but also a place of continual prayer. Now, since 1998, prayer has been going on in this place 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days per year for more than 25 years. What's the result? I'm about to tell you, but let me give you a little bit of context first and a little bit of a backstory of El Salvador. El Salvador, many years ago, was one of the most dangerous countries in the world. It was dominated and overrun by dangerous, violent gangs like MS-13. You've heard of them. Gas stations, convenience stores, and grocery stores had to be protected by armed guards stationed there because you couldn't go anywhere without the threat of violence. But the country has undergone a radical transformation as of late in recent years. See, today, El Salvador is enjoying peace and prosperity. They have malls that are nicer than the Greenwood Park Mall just a few miles north of here. They have very nice restaurants, and people are out enjoying recreation out into the, in the community and in their neighborhoods without armed guards everywhere. Well, a new president was elected in El Salvador just a few years ago, and he has ruthlessly pursued gang members and incarcerated more than 70,000 of them in the last three years. And as a result of that, murder has gone down 70% in El Salvador. And recent statistics show that more than 44% of the residents in El Salvador are now evangelical Christians. So for the first time in their history, there's now more born-again evangelical Christians in El Salvador than there are Catholics. And you have to really know the history of El Salvador to understand what a miracle that is. 
I hear that stadiums are being filled with people coming to, to know Jesus and being empowered to be witnesses for Christ. And in response to the prayers and fasting of the people, God has brought revival to the nation of El Salvador. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Now, folks, if God can do that for a nation like El Salvador that was steeped in demonic violence everywhere, he can do it in your home. He can do it in your life. And he can do it in our nation. What it's going to take is a renewed passion and commitment to earnest and persevering prayer. And that's really where we're going to end this teaching and end this series. That all of this, all of the, the, the methodologies that we've talked about in being free from the bondage of these various spirits, these demonic spirits that we've talked about, really the foundation of it is prayer and fasting. So I want to encourage you, you know, we have just a small group of people that meet here at 7 p.m. on Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And I want to encourage more of us to participate in that. But not just that, but the Daniel challenge that we set forth at the beginning of the year. And I want to say this, you know, one of the, one of the eight things that we put on the Daniel challenge was begin your day with at least 15 minutes of prayer. Well, do you know why I just put it at 15 minutes? Because some of you aren't even doing that. 15 minutes is the starting place. I want to encourage you to begin, begin developing a prayer life that exceeds just 15 minutes of God bless me and my day and my family and leaving it at that. There's so much more to pray about than us four and no more. Praying for our nation, praying for this church, praying for the, the needs of some of the people in this church. I mean, there's so much more to pray about than just 15 minutes worth. Jesus said, can you not tarry with me one hour? I want to encourage you and challenge you to be in developing your prayer life to the point where you can pray one hour. Because I'm telling you, somebody that can pray passionately for an hour can move heaven and earth. But if you're just putting your little time and punching a time card, oh, I did my 15 minutes today. Sometimes that's not enough to move heaven and earth. God wants some passion out of his people. I also, again, want to encourage you on this note to attend the National Day of Prayer. I'd like all of our church to be at that event. Because can we not invest one hour a year Seriously, one hour a year to attend the National Day of Prayer event to pray for this nation? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I would hear from heaven and heal their land and forgive their sins. I don't, I don't, want, don't want to drag this out too much longer, but I do want to say the National Day of Prayer is pitifully attended, pitifully attended. How many Christians do we have in this, in Bartholomew County and the surrounding areas? And something like, I don't know, 
last time that we met, there was, I don't maybe 60 people in the room? So, yeah, if that. It's pitiful. How many pastors are in this town? And there was only like, I don't know, six or eight or ten pastors in that entire room? If that. It's pitiful. Well, where's our passion, for goodness sake? Does it take the economy completely collapsing and for some foreign nation to invade this land and for MS-13 and, like, and, and similar gangs to overrun our nation for the God's people to begin praying passionately? I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If, you, if the people of God do not begin praying passionately, there's going to come a time where you will pray passionately because you're going to be forced to, like El Salvador was. And they prayed for 25 years. That was, that's a long time. But they persevered in that, and finally God brought revival that completely changed that nation. The, the laziness in which most American Christians approach their relationship with God and prayer is embarrassing. We come to church and we want to get entertained and we want to you know, feel a goosebump and see a show. And that's not what this is about. Where's the people when it comes to the prayer gatherings? Seriously. Come on. You know, if I said we were going to have a Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday night gathering and we were going to talk about, you know, God's principles for prosperity, you know, 70% of you'd be here. But when we make an announcement, we're going to have a prayer gathering, three people show up. Can I challenge you to, I mean, and our prayer gatherings, by the way, are very informal. Uh, the National Day of Prayer is a little bit more regimented. Uh, a little bit more formalized and planned out, but, uh, you know, you can come and go where our prayer gatherings are concerned. You can stay here for, for 10 minutes if you want, 20 minutes, 45 minutes, the full hour. You know, it's open house. You can come and go. So I'm just going to leave us on, on that note right there, that what it's going to take for your house, your life, and this nation to experience revival is a renewed commitment to earnest and persevering prayer. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, if you will? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.